Let's continue then. Key point number two. Ezra was obedient to the word of God. Let's pick up at verse 6 and we'll go through verse 9. This Ezra came up from Babylon and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. And on the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. That seems like a really long way of saying it took him four months to get there. But being skilled in God's word, Ezra would have known a handful of things. He would have known how Joseph rose to prominence and interceded with the king on behalf of his fellow descendants of Jacob. Ezra understood that it wasn't enough to have knowledge of God's word without obedience to God's word. So he understood this. He understood this connection that it's not enough. I can't just know about it. I can't just know how to find the book of Nahum. And Ezra understood that disobedience to the Lord has been Israel's struggle for years. Ezra seems to have finally put his finger on the pulse and finally recognized, you know, the whole reason we're in Babylon is because we were disobedient to the Lord. We weren't doing what we were supposed to do. One of my absolute favorite examples is uh, found in Scripture of people, the Lord's people being disobedient and going into this cycle of repentance, coming back redeemed, is this narrative known as Balaam's donkey. It's one of my favorites. And it, it's fascinating because here's, here's what we find out. Let me, let me give you the quick Spark Notes version. Uh, if you're over 40, the Cliff Notes version. Um, the idea is Balaam is a prophet near Iraq. He's not of the Lord. He's not, he's not a descendant of you know, Israel or David. Or, uh, he, he is, he's a pagan prophet who lives along the Euphrates River. And there is a king who lives north of Israel, and he is threatened by the nation of Israel. And he's concerned because he sees that God seems to have his hand upon this nation of Israel. So this king, Balak, he contacts this pagan prophet who has a reputation of cursing nations. Put up, placing curses on them. So he gets in, in touch with this Balaam. And Balaam tells Balak, goes and meets with him and says, look, I, I, I can only do what the gods will allow me to do. In other words, if God will not allow me to place a curse 
on the people of Israel. I can't do it. Well, here's essentially what happens. Uh, Balak is like, look, I'll give you everything. I, he said, I will give you access to everything I have. I will give you lots of riches. All, all I need you to do is make sure that you put a curse on the nation of Israel. Balaam ends up going uh, to, to do this very thing. There's a whole thing where the donkey talks to him. Balaam ends up not cursing Israel, but instead ends up blessing them. Every single time he starts out with a, an intention of cursing them, it comes out of his mouth of bless them, bless them. And Balak is going, what are you doing? I am paying you to curse them, and instead you're giving them more and more blessing. Would you please stop? I would rather you just stop it all together. Balaam said, did I not tell you before I even began this journey that I could only do what, I'm, what, what God himself would allow me to do? And if God will not allow it, then I can't, I can't curse them. Well, it ends up that as you're, as you're coming to the end of that narrative, this is found in the book of Numbers, as you're coming to the end of that narrative with, with Balaam and his donkey and Balak, this king, you have this idea that Balak is like, I don't know what to do. Israel Israel's going to come after me, and we need to defeat them somehow. And then we have Balaam telling Balak how to get around this whole curse thing and blessing thing. In fact, it's not actually found in Numbers. It's found in the book of Revelation. Let me, let me read to you Numbers chapter 24, verses 12 and 13, and then I want to read Revelation 2.14. Numbers 24, here's what it says. Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. So, he's very clear, right, on his, he can only do what God says. But Balaam has a little trick up his sleeve. He has one more thing that he can tell Balak. Hey, if you want to beat Israel, here's how to do it. Revelation, chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you because you, ha you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Hmm, that's interesting. What is the doctrine of Balaam? Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat the things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Do you see what do you see what Balaam did before he left, before he headed back to Iraq, before he headed back to the Euphrates River? Here's what he did. He said, "Okay, look, I can't place a curse, but if you really want to see Israel's demise, make them make them sin against their own god. That'll do it. Allow them to to sin and then you don't have to worry about the curse because it's already on them and God will do it for you. All you got to do is tempt them. Tempt them with prostitutes. Tempt them with the women of your nation. 
and God will hand them over to you. Hey, get them to eat food that was sacrificed to your idols. And you know what will happen? That sin, it'll be enough. God will hand Israel over to you. You see, you see, Balaam ended up coming through with Balak, but not in the way that Balak thought. Balak was thinking, yeah, I need you to you know, place a curse. And Balaam ultimately was saying, look, it's already there. It's built in. All you have to do is get God's people to sin. And every time they sin, here's what happens. God will give that nation over to another one. Now, why is that important? Because it has never been the strength of armies, has it? Israel's victories have always come through unlikely heroes and unlikely, and unlikely ways. I mean, think about their, their victories marching around the walls of Jericho. Think about David and Goliath. But ultimately, if you want to defeat God's people, cause them to sin against their own God. Cause them to sin against their own God. So here's what we have. First, Ezra loved God and his word. You want hope? You want to offer hope? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love his word. Second, Ezra was obedient to the word of God. Why? Because he recognizes without obedience to the word of God, that's how they're going to end up in Babylon to begin with. That's why they were there for 70 years. And he was like, we've got to put a stop to this terrible cycle. It's happening over and over and over. Let me share with you a true story. I have a pastor friend of mine who lives in Charlotte. He used to have a boat. He no longer has it, but at least I don't think he has it anymore. He used to have a boat. And on the side of the boat, he had the boat's name, Visitation. That's what he called his boat. That way, if someone called the church looking for him, and he was out on Lake Norman fishing, the church secretary could say, I'm sorry, he's not available, he's out on visitation. Well, and it's a true story, I'm not making it up. In fact, I, you know, he, I remember seeing it right on his boat. Well, his creativity inspired me to nickname my bed, I call it The Word. That way if somebody calls the house and asks Cheryl, she can say he's not available right now. Now he is spending time in the Word. I thought about even, I thought about naming my blanket uh, the Holy Spirit. That way I can say I'm in the Word under the cover of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but anyway, with all seriousness, our, our obedience to God's Word comes from our time in God's Word which comes from our love of the Lord. So you see, Ezra's strategy here is to love God, love him, and love his word, and spend time in his word, so much so that now we want to be obedient to it. Obedience to God's word. Let me, let me get share with you a few quotes that I came across in the past couple of weeks that, that consider the obedience, the of, of the Lord and obedience to God's Word. D.L. Moody, who was an evangelist, an American evangelist in the 1800s, he once said this, the world has yet to see 
what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. In other words, he's saying, you know, the world hasn't seen what, it, what the impact that one person could have who is fully devoted to obedience to the Lord. Landon Dowden, theologian and author, writes, as we act on plans that we discern from God's word rather than plans that we devise from our own wills, the Lord will use us for the development of his kingdom and not to its detriment. John Piper writes, every opportunity God puts before us is a call to faith in the promised strength of God.